At the Foot of the Cross, a monthly podcast from the Catholic Bishops' Conference of England and Wales. Hello everyone and welcome to our July, July slash August at the foot of the cross because it is summertime and it is a time where our bishops take a well-earned break or go on pilgrimage and the latter, pilgrimage, is the word for this particular podcast because we're going to be talking to our regular studio guest, Canon Christopher Thomas, our General Secretary, but also we're going to be speaking to the Reverend Dr Jan Novotnik, who's also sitting in the studio, who is joyously going to be a non-bishop, member of the Synod in October, with voting rights. Gentlemen, how are you? Very well, thank you, James. Father Jan? All good, I think. Excellent. Ready to talk pilgrimage? Yes. Absolutely. Well, before we do so, though, we have had a rather joyous piece of news in that a new bishop has been installed to Hexham and Newcastle. We were in uh, St Mary's Cathedral in Newcastle to welcome uh, Bishop Stephen Wright uh, as he took possession of the diocese. Bishop Stephen was appointed uh, uh, earlier on in the summer. He'd been the auxiliary bishop in Birmingham for a number of years and uh, uh, now moves north up to Hexham and Newcastle to look after the people uh, and the church there. So we're, we're delighted for him and the, uh, the ceremony was very joyful. There was uh, a very moving testimony from the survivor of abuse, uh, which uh, Bishop Stephen particularly asked was part of the, uh, uh, of the installation rite. And that was very powerful testimony reminding us that, you know, we can't block out people's voices. This is something that I'm sure that Jan will talk about about the Synod, because, you know, all voices have to be heard as part of, of that work, because the people of God are a true prophetic voice in the, in the church of today. Just to expand on that a bit, there were also those loud fence ribbons representing the innate human dignity of those that have suffered that were tied to the bishop's chair. And didn't he say they would remain there? There were three tied there. There were two large ones and there was a smaller one. And I think it's the smaller one because I couldn't see from I could see from where I was sitting that there was a prayer attached to it. And I think that's the one that's going to remain on the cathedra as a reminder of that. But in all, you know, it's a new start for the diocese. It's a, a new start because a new bishop but a continuation of a great history in that northern part of our country with uh, St. Aidan and St. Cuthbert and St. Bede, you know, the marvellous patriarchs of our faith in this country. And Stephen stands as a successor to them. And, uh, and I'm sure, having been in seminary with him for a number of years, uh, I'm sure that he will bring many gifts and talents to being with the people, walking with them on their pilgrimage towards the Lord. And I think even those sort of, dare I say it, slightly more less spiritual admin parts of the job. He's got those skills as well as a, as a lawyer as well. He's got the right mind, hasn't he, for this sort of calling? Oh, yeah. Uh, but always remember that uh, that Steve, for Stephen, uh, being a parish priest was the best job in the world. And, uh, you know, uh, as, as, as a bishop, um, I'm sure it's like being an expanded parish priest to have a care for, for everybody. He's got to let the priest get on with it because he can't manage all the parishes in the diocese. But he'll be a good collaborator with them and, and he will be a supporter of them. And uh, yes, he does have that that good analytical mind, I think is a way of describing it. But he's got that pastoral heart, which is so important as well. 
and underpinned by one of the patrons, uh, our, our lady, the Immaculate Conception as well, that he was very keen to point out that. And maybe we can segue into Lourdes a bit with our lady there. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, um, he said that uh, the phone call from the nunciature came when he was on the Birmingham pilgrimage to Lourdes. And he now goes to Lourdes again with the Diocese of Hexham and Newcastle, with his diocese, with his people. I myself have just come back from Lourdes. I, I was there with the Diocese of Nottingham, only for a short period because of um, my commitments here in London, but uh, always a delight, first of all, to go with the people and the bishop of our diocese, Bishop McKinney, and to actually go and pray at the Shrine of Our Lady. So tell me a little bit about Lourdes, both as a shrine and, and also, I believe there are themes to, to the pilgrimages to Lourdes in these years. Oh, yes. I mean, St. Bernadette received the apparitions in the 1850s and uh, this little girl saw a beautiful lady and uh, the beautiful lady asked her to do various things. And what happened was very much um, not really listened to by the church, but she was persistent. And she went back and kept telling the authorities what was happening. And in the end, the great shrine of Lourdes was created and pilgrims flocked there in their, their hundreds of thousands every year. I mean, it was quite busy last week when I was there. But for me, the important thing about Lourdes is, is that Our Lady always points to her son. When we go there, we go, yes, to honour the presence of Our Lady who appeared in that place, but to remember that Mary always directs everybody to her son. You know, if you go back to the wedding at Cana in Galilee, you know, do whatever he tells you. She always directs to Jesus himself. The idea of, of pilgrimage is so important, and the theme for this year's pilgrimage, it's, it's, a, it's the second of three years. So last year was go and tell the priests. This year is go and tell the priests to build a chapel. And then next year will be go and tell the priest to build a chapel here and come in procession. So that middle section, go and tell the priest to build a chapel, was the theme of this year's pilgrimage. Now, I'm going to make an outrageous comment here. I've never been to Lourdes. I have a son who's going today to Lourdes. And actually, it is also a place of healing, isn't it? Or it's known as a place of, of great consolation and healing. Well, yes, there are there are definite miracles of Lourdes, the Miracle Bureau Every year investigates into, into healings that occur because of the openness of people going there. But it's much more than just the healing from, from human malady. It's a sense of, of a, a reconversion, a coming back to the person of Christ, a sort of laying at the foot of the altar the burdens of our lives and asking Our Lady to intercede for us and give us her protection. The place of Lourdes is always a place of joy as well. I mean, one of the, I mean for me, the greatest miracle, I think, is to see young people supporting infirm pilgrims. The VIPs, very important people, are always the pilgrims. And so when you see all of these young people giving of their time and their energy, pushing wheelchairs, stretchers, watchers, and making sure that their needs are looked after during the time that they're in this uh, wonderful place of pilgrimage, that for me is a true miracle. Because people can be very disparaging about our young people, and yet you see their true colours shine in the pilgrimage places. And specifically for one of our dioceses, for Nottingham, what was it like from a Nottingham perspective? It was great. It was a good pilgrimage. We we were about 180 people in total, which is good because it's building up the figures after COVID. I mean, COVID devastated the Shrine at Lourdes because people couldn't travel. There was a great spirit there, people from all over the diocese. Uh, our liturgies were led by the wonderful Filipino choir from St Mary's in Derby because our pilgrimage director, Father Greg Tobin, is the parish priest of St Mary's Derby. And he and Father Taz came with their, their Filipino choir and it was fantastic to be led in liturgy and prayer. All of the usual things which, which make up that pilgrimage in Lourdes. And this, this whole thing about processions, you know, so we have the marriage 
Gregorian procession in the evening, the torchlight procession. Then we have the Blessed Sacrament procession in the afternoon. And the way in which people gently walk around the, the shrine, you know, it, it's just a wonderful feeling, a wonderful thing. And the rosary, the clicking of beads is always a comforting sound in the Shrine of Lourdes. Well, I mean, as I say, many dioceses will, will travel, have travelled. It is that time of year as well. But I'm going to come on to Father Yan now before we have our, our nice little scriptural reflection, which I will push you to do for us fairly shortly. Father Yan, that incredible news a few weeks back that you have been nominated a member, a non-bishop member, but one with full voting rights. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, first of all, I suppose... Um It's a moment of history in the sense that um, since the Second Vatican Council and the setting up of the Synod of Bishops by Pope Paul VI, it's always been a vehicle really for the bishops to be more collegial, to share the story, if you like, of what's going on in their own diocesan family. And the synods have been moments where bishops from across the world have been able to discuss important issues concerning the life of the local churches. But it's always been fairly limited to the bishops and to theological advisers who would vote on various propositions at the Synod, which eventually, in the past, we can think back to the time of John Paul II, Pope John Paul II, you know, there would be an apostolic exhortation at the end of it, which would be based very much on the the work of the Synod. What's different with this Synod is that Pope Francis has asked that there will be, as you say, non-bishop members um, who will make up about 20% of the Synod. So priests like me, but also religious and laywomen and men chosen from the continental assemblies as part of the the synod process we've been going through. So I hope I'm right in saying we we have quite a contingent, don't we? We have Bishop Nicholas Hudson, Auxiliary of Westminster, who obviously was with you for that in-person continental phase in Prague earlier in 2023. He was a nomination from the Holy Father directly. Mm -hmm. We have Archbishop John Wilson and Bishop Marcus Stock going from an English and Welsh perspective. Are you going with England and Wales or are you going as part of the European bishops' conferences? Um, there's a very interesting question, or am I even going as myself? I think oh, this this is this is an interesting point. Obviously, as I was very privileged to be part of the synodal process here in England and Wales from the very beginning, so worked with a team of people to to look at the national syntheses, all the comments that came from the various dioceses about what it is to be a Christian, a Catholic Christian in England and Wales. And as part of that, as you say, I was with Bishop Nicholas Hudson and uh, two others in person as the four-member team in Prague. And I've been chosen specifically because I was at the Continental Assembly. So in some way, yes, I'm going to, to represent more broadly Europe. But also, you know, I work with the Bishops of England and Wales here, so I will not forget that. And also, as Cardinal Grech made very clear, I think, in one of the press commentaries um, when they were telling everyone that there would be lay members or non-bishop members of the Synod, he said quite clearly that those people go in their own right. So, you know, the vote is equal for everyone, really. So I think you take a lot with you when you go. And yeah, I'll be taking the thoughts of um, the people of England and Wales, certainly what I heard in Prague, and my own prayerful reflections as well. 
Well, we'll obviously get into the nitty gritty a bit closer mm. to the time, a bit closer to October. But this podcast is very much about walking together, mm. walking towards the Lord, you know, getting closer to the Lord via pilgrimage, via the synodal mm. pathway, as is often been said. How do you see your role in it then? How do you anticipate being part of the synod? I think two things, really. If, it, if it's like Prague and I get the sense that the... Um, what will be happening in October will be very different to former synods. There will be obviously the great plenary moments where everyone's together. I'm sure there'll be interactions where there'll be speeches um, and addresses from the floor. But a lot of what's going to happen is what we experience in the Continental Assemblies with um, groups of people pondering, first I think on the Word of God, praying together and then listening to each other. Something Bishop Nicholas um, has commented on many times since Prague is the transformative power of listening. Um, and I think what came out very clearly in Prague is that when everyone is given an opportunity to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit then speaks to a group of people and as individuals, then you begin to hear what it is to journey together, that you actually create that space to listen to each other. And, and I think that will be fundamental as part of what you could call the pilgrimage of the Synod. Yeah, and, and a final question mm. for now. I mean, you know, there are challenging discussions that will, that have been had, both locally in, you know, in parishes, mm. in dioceses, and on the national level, the continental level. Now comes the, the global level. Mm. There will be those challenging things. But what would you say at this early stage, ahead of time, are reasonable expectations for people to have of this process? I think um, the reasonable expectations are the ones that um, we've all been experiencing already. Um, I think, um, yes, we've had some very interesting discussions. I think when we've spoken before, when I was in Prague, I think I said to you that the context of the Prague Assembly didn't happen in a vacuum at that point, and we still are in a war in Europe. There were the terrible situations in Syria and Turkey. You know, what happens in the Synod, and, you know, Pope Francis has been very clear about this, it's not introspective navel-gazing. It's about, and I think this is the biggest expectation for me and what I'm hoping, is that it confirms the mission of the church and it makes us realise that, you know, we're not just a top-down institution where the clergy tell the laity what to do, but as we heard in Vatican II, and I think as we've experienced in the last two years, everyone has a voice, a bit like Chris said earlier on about the installation in Hexham. You know, we all have a voice. We all hear the voice of the Holy Spirit speak to our hearts. And so this is an opportunity for everyone to listen. You know, clergy, religious, faithful, lay faithful, all together pondering um, on what the Holy Spirit is saying to the church at the moment. So my expectation is that if we listen carefully to the Lord and to each other, we will hear exactly what he wants us to be in his church at this time. Well, excellent. And I know we will be getting updates from you during that that month-long process. Just a few things to trail ahead somewhat. We will have a short piece from Phil McCarthy, who was a former CEO of CSAN, Caritas Social Action Network here in England and Wales, who has put together a collection of walking pilgrimages. You may have noticed we put various bits and pieces out about that. Pilgrimways.org.uk. So we'll be including a little piece from Phil there. And Luigi Lopez, who works in our communications team, is travelling out 
to Lisbon for World Youth Day, which will be a very exciting moment for, for her and for all those hundreds of thousands of pilgrims to be in the presence of the Holy Father. But Canon Chris, it's back over to you for a scriptural reflection now, which you obviously do very well and very skillfully, and you've still got accompaniment and pilgrimage on the mind. Well, yes, the, the, I thought what I'd do is, is to talk about the gospel that is part of the theme in Lourdes this year. The theme is go and tell the priest to build a chapel here. So the gospel comes from Luke chapter 6. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit, for each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil, for out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundations upon rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built the house on the ground without foundations. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Now, that piece of scripture made me think of of two things. It made me think of pilgrims going to Lourdes. And the pilgrimage begins the moment that you leave your house, because you leave your house and then you start the journey. And then the journey arrives at the place. You spend your time at the place and then you journey back. And so the pilgrimage is not just about being in the place. It's about being in your home and going back to your home. And that reminded me of the importance of us coming together because we are the seeds that God has sown in the world. And so if we are going to bear good fruit, we've got to nurture the seed which is within us, which is the gift of the Holy Spirit, the grace of God that's given to us in our baptism. And that requires a lot of nurture. If you think about plants, you know, if you leave a plant, it'll die because you're not caring for it. But if you care for it, it can become something very beautiful. In the same way, with the faith that is planted within us needs to be cared for. It needs to be nurtured. And the way that we do that in our early days, certainly, and most importantly, is within the family. But there's also the family of the church as well. And so we have two places of the family and the church in which our faith is nurtured, in which our faith grows, and in which we begin to bear good fruit. But the only way that we can bear that good fruit is if we stay close to the Lord. He has to become our focus. The thing about the second part of the gospel, which is about um, building houses, is really important. It's very difficult for us to think about this, but When you're in the Holy Land, as I've been many times, and we've talked about this before, James, you can often see very, very dry riverbeds. And when you're there, they're very, very dry. But I've been there when they've been flooded as well. And so what you can see, this image that Jesus is saying, is that he's thinking about the man building. And what the man sees is a piece of land. And he sees the piece of land, and it looks as if it's got hard rock, but it's not. It's a dry riverbed. So he builds a house there, and it's easy, because he doesn't want to dig down doesn't want to do the work to get down to the foundations. And as soon as the river rises, it knocks the house down. That's not what we've got to be like. Because the Christian life, we need to have toil. It is going to be something that we've got to work at. And going on pilgrimage allows us to till the soil, which means to work at our spiritual life, so that we become reinvigorated. So we're putting in new nutrients into the spiritual life so that we can grow close to the Lord. The other thing is that 
we don't have that long view. If that man had watched that riverbed over the long period of time, over all four seasons, he would have seen that's not the place to build. So in the same way, the church must never make decisions in the here and now just for the here and now. We must take the long view because don't forget that we're looking at an eternity. And so the key thing is to have good foundations and the foundation is Christ himself. That's what we build on. And then the long view of the church, not just for here and now, we are here and now and we have to work in the here and now, but we have a longer view that takes us beyond where we are in the here and now. And so when St. Bernadette said, go to the priests and tell them to build a chapel here, when I think of Lourdes, I don't think about the beautiful basilicas which are behind the domain. So many thousands of people go to pray and I think about the people going because they're the living stones of the church. So yes, a church was built, an edifice was built, but more importantly, it's the building of the church, the coming together of the people of God, accompanying each other on pilgrimage so that they're able to have that foundation who is Christ. Mary always points to her son. You know, that's the key thing. Mary never points to herself, always points to her son. He is the foundation upon which we build our faith, but we need to nurture it so that we can bear that good fruit. So we've got to be good seeds. That's wonderful. I think actually I might well play this to my son before he departs today to understand that the pilgrimage will start just in a matter of hours, not when he arrives. Yes. I like that. I like that. And hopefully we'll all have a summer of spiritual nurturing in the home or on the move. And perhaps we'll bear some good spiritual fruit over the coming months. Yeah. And the key thing is, you see, is that it's all about focusing, coming back to Jan's conversation earlier on, about the mission of the church. We go on pilgrimage to determine how can we be more effective missioners? How can we be disciples with a mission in the world? Mm. Because if we are those seeds sown in the world, we've got to bear the fruit. And the fruit is the proclamation of the gospel. And the other thing which links in with this in some way is is, um, when St. Paul talks about the church as living stones. We must always remember that Paul was prolific in sowing seeds but not gathering flowers. He let other people do the tilling of the soil and the nurturing because he went from place to place to place to ensure that the gospel message was proclaimed. So sometimes we've got to be content just to sow those seeds and let somebody else gather the flowers. So even if our apostles had a very definite and specific role to play, it sort of goes back to that Newman thing, doesn't it? That we all have our definite Some purpose. definite service. And yes. perhaps we need to sort of, we can spend our time, if we're unsure what that is, meditating on that, getting Absolutely. closer well, to that, the Lord. Well, that's, that's what discernment is. You know, we, mm. we've all got something that we can give to the mission of the church in today's world. And that's the most important thing. Well, in those weeks ahead, before we gather again, perhaps that can be our task. Gentlemen. Let's hope so. Thank you very much. Thank and uh, you. I hope you do get a little bit of rest amongst uh, all the discernment and the spiritual exercises of the summer. There might be a little rest, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, James. Thank, Thank you. you. At the Foot of the Cross, a monthly podcast from the Catholic Bishops' Conference of England and Wales. Well, good to hear there from Canon Chris Thomas, our General Secretary, and Father Jan Novotnik the Director of Mission, who has that wonderful non-bishop voting role at the Synod in October. Right, as we've said many times on this podcast, this is a podcast about pilgrimage as we all get ready to take something of a little break this summer. It can't have escaped your attention that there's rather a large pilgrimage taking place in August, mainly for young people, and the church has a wonderful definition of what it is to be young up until about 35 years old. I mean, I wish I could get away with that, but I can't quite. And we are sending the wonderful Luigi Lopez, who works with us here at the Bishop's Conference, to World Youth Day in Lisbon. And the great thing about Lisbon for you is that you can speak Portuguese. <laughs> yes, I can. Um, I'm from Angola, so we speak Portuguese there. 
And you've got plenty and of I've family. I've got plenty of family in Lisbon, yes. I've been visiting that ever since I was young. I've spent all my summers in Lisbon. So to go to a World Youth Day where the Pope will be, how, how does that make you feel? It's quite special, actually. Yeah, especially hearing from family out there how excited they are and going somewhere that's quite familiar for me and having the Pope being there. Yeah, it's really exciting. Right, well, we'll go on to what we're setting out to achieve, because obviously you're our digital specialist, so we're going to be seeing lots on social media and lots of content for our website. But tell us a little bit about the theme for World Youth Day. What's the theme this time round? So the theme this year is Mary Arose and Went With Haste. Um, So this theme basically relates to the topics of encounter and new beginnings, which for me are two terms associated with joy, especially because... This World Youth Day has been postponed due to COVID. So it really is a sign of a new beginning, a new journey for young people to take part in World Youth Day. Yeah. So that being said, I want to share the joy of young people that will be present. And I'm also hoping to show our diocesan experiences. There's Days in the Diocese, which is a time for the young pilgrims to really prepare for the journey that they're about to embark in in Lisbon and to get a feel of the community and also for the host community to experience having the young people in their area and their spaces. Lisbon is a beautiful city where the night vigil will take place in Parque Tejo. It's in an area called Campo da Graça, which is well known for its spectacular viewpoints. Hmm. So... Yeah, that's amazing. And also the food and the culture is incredible. I think the young people enjoy eating our traditional dish, which is bacalhau con natos. What is that exactly? It's a baked codfish. So Mm. the codfish is fried initially with onions and potatoes, and then it's covered in cooking cream. And yeah, it goes in the oven. It's it's delicious. So bacalhau con natos. Lovely. What are you hoping to achieve out in Lisbon? So out in Lisbon, I'm hoping to really gather content and stories about the young Catholics who will be there. And it's a very special event to have young Catholics from all over the world, from different cultures, and to be able to share these stories and experiences across our social media is really exciting. Would you say Portugal's still known as a a Catholic country? Do people sort of follow their faith in Portugal? Yes, definitely. So everywhere you go in Portugal, especially because there's still a lot of the older generation who are very strong in their faith, um, so people like my grandma. One of the things I'm looking forward to going to Lisbon as well is to see the younger generation integrating with the older generation, which also links to what Pope Francis said for the World Day for the grandparents and the elderly, where he actually called for the young people going to World Youth Day to really not take for granted and think about the importance of that intergenerational dialogue. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a really good point, actually. And it has all those elements that you'd expect a World Youth Day to have. You know, there there's the, the Stations of the Cross, the Way of the Cross on Friday the 4th, the Vigil Mass, which is always very moving. You talked about the location for the Vigil Mass on Saturday the 5th. Also on the 5th is a trip to Fatima, 
which I think actually our Diocese of Westminster pilgrims are going to be staying in Fatima and, and coming into Lisbon every day. Um, yes. Rosary with sick young people, which I'm sure will be very moving. And then on the Sunday itself, the big mass, the final mass. Um, so it's got all those ingredients. What are you looking forward to personally most about this in terms of, you know, meeting young Catholics from all round England and Wales? Personally, I'm really looking forward to just being around the young Catholics and getting to hear their experiences and their stories and really how they're feeling as young Catholics and their journey. I'm also looking forward to that amalgamation of different cultures all together in one place. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? Catholic meaning universal as well. So it it is going to be global. It's going to be exciting. Hundreds of thousands of young Catholics um, have a great time, first and foremost. I hope it's a very faith-filled and enjoyable occasion. And just grab us loads of stories from young people sharing their faith and generally stepping forward positively out in Lisbon. Yeah, I'm really excited and I'm looking forward to seeing what will be on our social media accounts. Yes, well said. Catholic EW on Twitter, Catholic Church on Insta, and I now have to say threads, of course. (laughs) Um, CBC EW on Facebook. So do follow us on all the the main social platforms. And actually, cbcew.org.uk for the website. Hopefully we'll be able to filter through from that uh, quite a bit of web content too. So for now, Luigi Lopez, thank you very much and go and enjoy yourself. Thank you. Well, on the podcast, we've talked about Lourdes, we've talked about Fatima, World Youth Day, of course, linking to that, but as well as the world's other shrines and pilgrim walks, El Camino, obviously, across southern France and through northern Spain, for instance, we have our own pilgrim ways, the Augustine Camino in Kent, for instance. And joining us now is the brain behind something called pilgrimways.org.uk, Philip McCarthy. Now, Phil, you're on a pilgrimage in the Cardiff region of Wales as we speak, aren't you? Tell us a bit about that. Uh, yeah. Hi, James. Yeah, I, I set off this morning from um, St. David's Cathedral in, in the middle of Cardiff, set off north, heading for two Marian shrines, the first at Penrice and the second at Abacan. So um, there's already a Penrice pilgrimage from Llandaff Cathedral to Penrice. So I thought that I would extend that by adding in the Catholic cathedral at the south and adding in another Catholic shrine at the north. So to make it what I'm calling the way of Our Lady of the Valleys. So I started off this morning, headed off for Thlandaff Cathedral, got there, and then walked off through very quiet countryside, but gradually uphill. And I ended up at the Clantricent, where I'm staying tonight. Tomorrow I'll be heading north again over more hilly territory, still following the Penrice pilgrimage way, and then we'll end up on uh, Wednesday, at um, the statue to Our Lady at Penrice and the statue at Abacan. They're very interesting in different ways because the one at Penrice is actually ancient. It was There was a holy well there and people went there in the medieval period right up until the um, Reformation when it was the shrine was destroyed and closed down and the statue itself was taken to London and burnt. And then the Archdiocese of Cardiff restored a very impressive statue there in, I think, in 1953. And um, pilgrimages have started ever since. Excellent. And is this something you're putting together anew from sort of established roots, or or is this something that's pre-existed for a long time? Well, it's an ancient route, which has been discovered by another group who've actually come up with the Penrith Way. So what I'm doing is sort of piggybacking on them, and they've been very generous and supportive. 
So I'm just adding on, if you like, the start from the Catholic Cathedral to the Clandaf, which is where the Penrice pilgrimage way goes, and adding um, a further section at the end to go over to the Rosary Shrine at Abacan. And that itself has a very interesting history. And a little boy in the river there and thought he was drowning and said he was saved. This is 1926 by a lady in blue who he identified as the lady on the religious medallion he was wearing. And uh, the area became uh, a site of pilgrimage for local miners, particularly Irish and Italian miners. And when they were striking in 1928, they actually spent their time creating the shrine there, which was restored by the Archdiocese of Cardiff a few years ago. So two very interesting and very different shrines, one very ancient and the other quite modern. And all these pilgrimages in in our lands, they they have these wonderful historic stories, don't they? Do you think it's a case of opening people's eyes to them? Absolutely. England is quite unusual in that pilgrimage was actually banned by Act of Parliament in 1538 uh, by Thomas Cromwell. So we sort of lost the shrines. We lost very often the cathedrals. We lost the religious infrastructure along the way. So it's a question of rediscovering some of these things and some creating it from new. And my idea is to create a pilgrim way in each Catholic diocese from the cathedral of that diocese to one or more shrines within the same diocese. So I've created a website which has all the routes on and gradually I'm walking them and adding adding the directions so people can follow them easily. Yeah, that's marvellous. And to give that a plug, pilgrimways.org.uk. You can all go online and check those out. But it's not just a website. You can also download the walks, can't you, Phil? Absolutely. You can download the walks that I've done. You can download for them all GPX files and follow that on, on your mobile phone. And there's also pilgrim passports for you to get stamped along the way and certificates at the end to show that you know, you've done the walk. So very much trying to parallel what they do at the Camino with the passports and the, and the testimonium at the end. And I hope that uh, gradually we'll rebuild the culture of walking pilgrimage that has been lost in this country, because it seems to me a much greener option than jumping on a, a plane and flying off abroad, You know, to actually walk within our own country, get in touch with the environment and with each other, which seems so important after the pandemic. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think sometimes, you know, we we take a little for granted what's on our own doorstep, don't we? Because I grew up in Gloucestershire. I know you were in in Bristol, so the Diocese of Clifton, not a million miles away. And I remember walking the Cotswold Way, which sort of in part leads to the Foss Way. And I was told it was sort of a, a pilgrimage route from about the 1400s, 1300s, 1400s, and you walk under these canopies and you think to yourself, goodness me, you know, I mean, how how on earth did they travel up here? And, you know, what did they take with them? And where were they going? And what must that have felt like as a spiritual journey? All these stories, aren't they? Right, right under our noses. Absolutely. Some ancient and some modern, which, you know, this route demonstrates. And I think it's the bridge between the church and the secular world. It's one of the ways that the church can reach out to people. There's great interest in pilgrimage. We can see that from the, you know, the celebrity programmes which there are. And so I hope these will be routes not just for Catholics to deepen their faith, but for everyone to experience pilgrimage within a Catholic setting. And really my title of the project, which is Hearts in Search of God, comes from a quotation from Pope Francis, where he said that um, he reminded people that pilgrims, whether they be old or young, or sick or in good health, or just a casual tourist, in all of them beats a heart in search of God without necessarily being aware of it. And I think that's a marvellous image that within us all, although we're not necessarily aware of the spiritual journey that we're on, there's nevertheless a heart in search of God. 
Yeah, indeed. And and it is that, that journey of the soul in many ways, isn't it? So what would you say that a pilgrim can do? What sort of frame of mind should they be in to get the most out of a, a walking pilgrimage? I think it's worth preparing, finding out something about the route, doing some thinking about it beforehand. And on the website, there's some prayer resources which you can use in order to prepare yourself for walking. Obviously, get yourself physically in a good state to walk and make sure you've got some decent kit. And in this country, that means boots and some wet weather stuff. So get yourself ready physically and mentally, and but also spiritually for the walk. Have a think about it. And then when you're on the walk, try and be in the moment. Try to be reflective of, of the things, the ordinary things which you see around. So easy when you're walking to think about the past, you know, things that have gone wrong in our lives, and to dream of some impossible future that's never going to happen. But try to be in that moment. And, and to make it a moment of gratitude for the good things that we have in our lives and for the wonderful world which we share for this brief time that we're here. Once again, I've written some stuff on the website, some prayers for the end of the journey, for after the journey, which people might like to draw on. Very much drawing on the Jesuits' Prayers You Go website. Yeah, very successful and, and part of a lot of people's daily lives, I think. So with that in mind, though, Phil, I mean, obviously you've painted some some beautiful word pictures there but you know you're, you're a medical doctor too and there'll be people that are perhaps dying or those that are unable to make those walks so how much of a responsibility is it do you think that when the pilgrim returns they can actually pass that on to those sort of unable to physically go on that pilgrimage i think that is an important responsibility to try and share the experience and of course, increasingly, there's ways that people can, even where they're quite frail, share in the pilgrim experience. So, for example, you know, you can uh, look at live streaming from the shrine at Walsingham and see pilgrims arriving there. So there are ways that you can share in that experience increasingly, I think. Yeah, absolutely. So that's pilgrimways.org.uk. Another little question on the sort of accessibility factor. If one doesn't have well, let's say three months to go from Rome to Istanbul, as I know you haven't documented brilliantly. How can people access these walks, these routes, if they have, say, a day or an afternoon or a few hours? Some of them are quite short. So particularly the one in Hallam Diocese is only eight miles, which takes you from the cathedral there in Sheffield up into the Hope Valley to the Shrine of the Padley Martyrs. So some are quite short, but the others can easily be divided up into, you know, into short stretches. So, for example, in my own Clifton Diocese, it's easy to walk in the morning out to Dundry, get the bus home, get the bus in again on another day, you know, and do the next stretch, and then on again to Wells and then to Glastonbury. So you can divide it up and make it easy, and hopefully, yeah. you know, do it by public transport, which is, you know, the greener option. Just finally, Phil, for those that might say, ah, yes, but what about this route or what about that place or what about this bit of our Catholic patrimony? Are you sort of open to people saying to you, oh, you know, you might want to explore this? Absolutely. And I've completely changed some of the routes. For example, the one in the Archdiocese of Birmingham, I had going north to a shrine at Hednesford, but a deacon within the diocese said, oh, no, you don't want to go there. You ought to go to the new shrine to St. Chad at um, at Litchfield Cathedral which brings in the ecumenical aspect. So now it's from St. Chad's Cathedral to St. Chad's Shrine. So, yeah, I'm very open to suggestions. The ones that are in GPX, you know, if people had a look at them and they can think of something better, I'm really open to that. But I'm going to rely on people, you know, to to keep me up to date with the routes as they go on and to come up with other ideas. 
And even if there's other um, Catholic pilgrimages going on that I don't know about, that don't, sort of don't fit in the project, I'm really happy to um, put them up on the website in the news and stories section and really to make it a focus for pilgrimage in England and Wales in our diocese. Perfect. Well, look, I'm very enthusiastic about it and um, I wish you luck. I hope you enjoy the remainder of the, of the Welsh pilgrimage you're on this week. And um, to give it one more plug, because I like it so much, it's pilgrimways.org.uk. And as Phil says, if you've got some ideas, then we're all ears. <laughs> Thanks ever so much, Phil. Love to hear from the people. Thanks, Love James. It. Thank you. Take care. Well, that's just about it for our July-August at the foot of the cross. Perhaps we'll call this one Pathways to God, something like that. Our pilgrimage podcast has certainly had all those buzzwords that we hear these days, journey, accompaniment, encounter. And whether you're at home or abroad, I do hope that you do get a chance to deepen your faith and get a little bit closer to the Lord over these summer months. We'll be back in September for another At the Foot of the Cross, But for now, take care and God bless.